was funny last week, um, we didn't have cleaning pots, you know, we have it today, but uh, so Judah has been kind of slowly integrating into kids' ministry, and uh, it's been very cute, like, uh, you know, she's been going on, she's been watching, and, and, and whenever he wants us to watch, let's say, uh, peek, he wants us to stay by so that we can peek in on him, and then she peeked in on him, and he goes, okay, no peek, um, and I'm good. And so last week he was wondering why there were no cane pots, and uh, we got home and we were talking a little bit about that, and he just couldn't get the concept. But he wants to know why. Um, why is there a great, that the question of, 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 of this season? Why? Why? And uh, you find out how much you don't know when your kids ask you why on everything. But he was wondering why there wasn't, and I said, you know, well, you know, there's a they're changing, they're going to have it next week. I said, well, you could be in church, you could just go to sleep. If you wanted to, I sometimes have hard time staying awake in church. And he said, and he said, oh, and he, and he said, yes, hard for hard for I didn't know if that was a put down to me or if he was watching some of you. So I'm not sure. So. <laughs> but I know it's hard for you. Today we're going to continue in our series, God's War. Um, I hope that you've been enjoying this. If you're, if you're this is your first time with us, we've been in the series, um, basically looking at specifically uh, confronting and battling against those things that keep us from devotion and surrender to Jesus. It's a daily battle for our hearts um, and, and for the things that are closest to our hearts and those idols that we that we fight with and we battle against every day because that's the basis and the root of all sin is idolatry. It's the thing that we put before God. It's the thing that we may run to uh, before we run to God. And over the last past few weeks, we've been looking at some specific gods, specifically pleasure, love. Last week, we looked at money. Today, we're going to look at the gods of power and control. I love the quote that you have up on your screen from Tim Capelli. Great pastor, and the heart of the gospel is the cross, and the cross is all about giving up power. And so, Jesus in Philippians, we're going to look at this passage in a moment, um, but Jesus, he laid aside his divine privileges and he laid his life upon the cross, and then he invites us to give up our own power to, to, to surrender to the cross of Christ, to surrender to what he did for us. And that place of the cross is about giving up power and control to Jesus. And so this is where we're going to be today, confronting the gods of power and control in our lives. And and, and, and I was preparing this, um, I have this mindset that it's all about the steering wheel. It really is. Isn't that a full steering wheel? The old classic so you can see it from an old Ford truck I got from Shane and Bill. And, uh, he said it's from an old Ford truck. He, he was going to give me a Chevy, but he didn't want it to fall apart and break in the middle of my sermon. The Chevy Ford debate goes on and on, man. Just a joke. Um, but it's just all about control. We are in a constant struggle for power and control in our lives. It's a battle that we face every single day. Remember the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? I'm glad we started removing those because if God is your co-pilot, you're in trouble. He needs to be the pilot. And so we are in trouble if we 
have control, and God is sitting next to you. Sometimes we like God there for comfort and for peace, but we like to be in control. And a lot of us become like my mom when I was learning to drive. Let me tell you a little bit about that story. My dad is a pretty laid-back individual, and learning to drive with him was, was not a big deal. Um, you know, he just kind of, the, the very first time I ever went out driving, uh, he was with me, and I, and I was sitting in our garage, and he said, give it a little gas. And so I did. And we peeled out of the, the garage. I mean, he was sleeping, tired, smoked, and, and then I slammed on the brakes, thinking that he wasn't going forward, or that would have been bad. But we get out, and he said, don't give it so much gas. And so that was kind of death. Mom, on the other hand, was quite different. Mom was giving us all anxiety attacks, you know, any of us are a girl. You're driving along, and she's constantly, oh, uh, oh, uh, you know, noises and all kinds of things. She has to pass, oh, 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 and then it's good. Lord Jesus, oh, Jesus. She wasn't cursing, she was crushed. She was in the seating. And then, you know, you're going, and then you're constantly hearing that, and it is just a nightmare. And, you know, then you get where you're going, and oh, mom, you just drive. And I think that's what she wanted all along. But isn't it interesting that we're driving along, and God needs to be driving, but aren't we like that sometimes? Oh, God, God, you need to go, are slow down, God, or speed up. Very rarely do you hear your mom say that. But God is driving. He's very confident in where he's going. The, the problem is with us, it's, a, it's an issue of power and control that God is driving. And what do we do? I think we need to take a left here. The best route is to take a left, and he takes a run. God, if you just listen to me, and, and you know, I, I, I don't like this way. I, I, I'd rather not go this way. And he goes this way. God, could you speed up? I would like that prayer answered yesterday. And he says, I'm, I'm doing something. And the path that I'm going, you just trust and obey. You just let me have control. And then after a while, you, you know, the reaching over there, my mom did that a couple of times. Like she's pulling the wheel, you know, and I'm like, we're, not, we're all going to die. You know, up, up. Close to the center line, you know when you you know what I'm talking about. You're fading into that center line, you know. And mom's over there pulling it. She's got the brake that she doesn't have. You know, she just we're we're doing that, and that's what we're doing. God, God, you know, and we're constantly in this struggle with God, thinking that we know the better way. We know how to steer better than He does. But doesn't that sum up our lives at times? It's a battle for power and control. It's interesting that the gods of power and control, I mean, all these gods, have their roots in the enemy. But this one in particular is rooted in Satan himself. Look at this passage of Scripture. Go back, just got a little too excited here. Technology's wonderful, and so it stops working. This is it. Isaiah the prophet, he's speaking, he's speaking about the enemy. The prophet is a prophecy about another, about another the wicked king, but it is, it is kind of one of those two-fold prophecies talking about Satan. 
And this kind of what happens statement, verse 12 of Isaiah 13, says, How you are fallen through heaven on shining stars, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Do you feel like the end of it? I, I, me, my, I will do this, I will do that, I will be in control. I envy God's position of power and authority, and so I will take control, I will be in control, I will call the shots, I will drive. And it's not, sometimes that means, sometimes it's simply a complete rejection of God, but sometimes we like God in the seat with us, we just don't like Him to be in control. I will put myself in the place of God. We're going to look at that more in depth next week because it's the final one called the God of me, the God of self. But this is tied very closely today about the gods of power and control. And so we're going to take a few minutes and look at how those, how those gods manifest in our lives and then how we remove those gods from our hearts. And so how do we bow down to the gods of power and control? When we hear of power and control, we might be inclined just to think of people who are maybe clamoring for positions of power, like in the business world, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, CEOs, you know, political power, uh, positions of authority in some organization. Maybe you, you tend to think about that when you hear power and control, and those can definitely be a part of it. But if we look deeper, we might find areas in our own lives that we struggle to want power and control without even having aspirations of traditional power. So those are a part of it, but that's not the whole picture. And again, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Throughout this whole week, there are many things I have to repent for about my own issues of power and control. Now let me pause and say that it's not wrong to have aspirations to have positions of power and authority. That's not what I'm trying to say. I hope you understand that. To you know, to strive towards something, and, and we know that there are some people who are different in the areas of, of authority to make big decisions. Um, they are wired um, in that way, and God puts them in positions of authority. But it always boils down to what our motivation is in wanting those positions, or how we get to those positions. And so it's always a question of, are we, you know, are we, you know, doing it the wrong way? Or are we sacrificing our integrity at the altar by pushing people to the side or manipulating our way up to the top? So it's how we get there. So here's some ways that the gods of power and control take over our lives, or, or they come creep into our lives. Maybe someone abused their power in your life, and they maybe used it to control you. You know, it could be a, a boss, it could be a parent that, that just abused their power. And sometimes we endure those things, they abuse their power in your life, and they use that power to control you, or maybe you endure abuse, hard treatment. Overbearing, an overbearing person of authority in your life, they were, you know, they were, they were sinfully dominant. 
And see, what happens is when we endure those and you're raised in a certain way, we get to a point in life and we make that silent vow. No one will ever control me again. And so we equate bad authority or abusive power as authority and power are bad. It can happen to anyone's heart. And so, if, it, if, if there was an abuse, there was a manipulation, and then uh, someone that had power or authority, and then what we can do is if we're not careful, we say power and authority are bad, and power and authority are not bad. And so we have to be very careful. And then what we do is that silent thing, I won't be controlled again. And so I take control. We take the reins of control, of control and, and instead of maybe allowing God to feel that abuse or feel those areas in our lives. And here's what I found out, and, I, and I've seen this in, in, in relatives. Um, I talked about my mom's family. Um, there was a lot of abuse there. And you saw some of them endure abuse. And it's interesting is that when you don't allow God to heal, and then you take the reins, what happens? That person who is abused becomes an abuser. And they begin to think, you know, years ago, I will never treat anyone like that. I will never. And then they themselves do what they despise so many years ago it's because they took control and power. And then they become the controller. Maybe we were disrespected and then we now live to demand respect from others. Another way is we equate positions and power with value and validation. If I can just get to that place of power, get to that place of control in my life, that people will value me, they will validate me. Maybe we didn't feel like we measured up as a child or somewhere in life, and so then what we do, again, is just that kind of silent vow, is I will work very hard, and again, I'm not saying there's anything with working hard, but what we're doing is trying to validate ourselves, and we're trying to find a value system in that I will, I will work really hard to gain a position of power and control to get validation from somebody who may or may not even be watching us anymore. He's trying to prove something to someone that's not even there. Power and control are a lot of times rooted in deep insecurity. No one's going to question me. I'm not going to allow anyone to question me. So then they try to get that validation and value through power. Ultimately, bullying is rooted in deep insecurity. Deep insecurity. So, I, you know, I, I'm going to force dominance on someone. And a lot of times if you track back and you find things in their lives for those are a lot somebody bullied them, somebody was domineering over them. So here's the, some signs of struggling with God's power and control again. Allow the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And here's one sure sign is if I start telling you the signs and you get offended with me, that might be a sign that you're dealing with power and control. So allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. If you're feeling convicted, have a talk with Him. Here's some. You have trouble humbling yourself. You have trouble humbling yourself. 
humility is very hard for you. Um, here's another. You try to put off that you have everything under control. I'm good. Everything's good. People ask you, no, it's all good. It's all good. You put off this idea. You may not, it may not be all good, but your job is to make everybody think that it's all good. That's kind of a, that, that, that's power and control being in your life. Another one is you are constantly taking that steering wheel out of God's hands. You're constantly over there. Uh, don't do that. Don't go that way. Don't just listen to me, God. I'll tell you. You can pray that way. God, I'll tell you what to do. Here's another one. You have a very difficult time saying, I'm sorry, or I was wrong. You ever, if you're dealing with that, it's a sense of power and control. Or you justify why you shouldn't have to. See, in Christ and the kingdom of God, it's people of God it should be different with us. If you're looking for someone, well, they need to make it right first. That's the wrong spirit. You need to go and make things right with them. The Bible says, go to your brother, go to your sister and be reconciled. If you're having a hard time saying, I'm sorry, or I was wrong, or you're justifying why you shouldn't have to, you're dealing with a spirit of power and control of God. Or you have a hard time forgiving. And then you make excuses of why you won't forgive. Well, I would forgive if, and you put conditions on forgiveness. I will forgive them if they do this or they do that. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the pain that people have faced when somebody has been domineering in their life or abusive or they have abused power. This is very real, and I'm not trying to say that, again, that you should just ignore the pain that you went through. However, in Christ, we have the ability through the power of the Spirit to forgive that person, to forgive them, and even forgive them from your heart, which, again, Forgiving them from the heart is more than just saying, well, I forgive you, and then in your heart, you're not really forgiving them. And you have the ability to walk past and then walk in freedom. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to change. That doesn't even mean that they, that you will have reconciliation with them. The Bible says, as far as it's concerned, with you be at peace with all men. That doesn't also mean that you have to trust them implicitly if they offended you or if they have done something wrong. Trust and forgiveness are different things. But we must forgive. And if you are making excuses of why you can't forgive, it's a God of power and control. And ultimately, here's the problem with the God's of power and control. It's a false sense of power. You're actually the one under control. There was a picture one time, I can't even remember what it was, but it was this, you know, the puppeteers with the strings? He's doing this, and then what he did not see was there was a puppet. There was a puppet master above him, which was controlling him. And that, to me, is a great picture of this God's power and control. Is that you want to call the shots? You want to do the only problem is the enemy is controlling you. And in this false sense of power and control, you are being controlled and domineered by the enemy. Here's another one. You struggle with being transparent and vulnerable with others. 
In other words, you don't want to have any perceived weakness in your life. And, you know, and, and, and to, to, to outright share, hey, I'm struggling in this area, can you pray for me? That doesn't mean that you have to be vulnerable and transparent with everyone. But even that you block off and you don't have people in your life that you can just go to and you can say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling here and I need prayer. This is an issue in my life that I'm going through. And when, you have, when you can't do that, when you're struggling with being transparent and vulnerable, that's an indication that there's a God of power to struggle. Again, that perceived weakness you put off that you don't struggle at all. Here's another one. You use a position of authority. Maybe you have a position of authority. That can be parental or otherwise. And you, you have a position of authority and you use that position to intimidate others. In other words, people are afraid to confront you. You create kind of a yes man system, yes woman, whatever you want to say, the people that just around you that won't because they're afraid to confront you. That's one of the things that, if you remember Ted Haggard, the famous pastor in Colorado that fell morally, and, and, and I think he's doing better now, but that was one of the things he said in an interview, is he said that I had put myself on the top of the heap, and no one, no one was, I allowed no one really to confront me. He said, I had a false sense of, you know, accountability. Do you have accountability? And he said, I would say yes. I have men around me that hold me accountable. He said, but all of them were afraid to really confront me on deep issues because I didn't allow them to. So, you're not too far from a fall when you get there. And that's the next one is, uh, another sign is you're not accountable to anyone. Or you're not teachable. You tend to know everything or you put off that you know everything. And so you're unteachable. It's like, no, no, I got that figured out. I know. See, Teachability and humility are links. It's saying, I don't know, and I need, I need someone to speak into my life, and maybe this is an area that I don't know. God help me. I want to be teachable. And you have a hard time learning and, and being teachable to someone. Here's another one. You're always the minister, but rarely admit that you need to be ministered to. In other words, you're always kind of in that ministry mode. You're ministering to others, but you rarely admit that you need to be ministered to. But again, that can be a validation that I get my value and I get my identity in that. And that's who I am. And I'm the person well. I have this special calling for these people. And they're like, what about, what about you? What about the hurts that you're dealing with? And we just kind of tend to put those off to the side. You tell us how many steps on. Wait, I'm not done yet. So. Addictions are another kind of power control. Addictions are lots of attached to control. That's an area where you can control. And people walk in addictions, well, I will control this. And again, what the problem is, is how many people you've seen, if you've ever uh, been a part of a, uh, you know, where, where a family confronts an intervention of some sort, what do they always say? Uh, I've got I'm, I'm okay. I've got this. And the addiction has control over them, but they think they are the ones in control. Here's another one. Your tendency is to get defensive when questioned about something. Kind of rise up and don't want to hear it. What about you blow up easily and get irrational? 
can be a, that you have God's power and control. You want to be the one in control. Or people feel that they have to walk on eggshells around you. And if that's not fine enough, here's another one. You secretly enjoy that people have to walk on eggshells around you. You know people like that? Stop nudging your neighbor. We're going to get in that in a minute. You have a hard time trusting those in authority in your life. Or you make excuses of why you won't honor authority. And this can be very real. Maybe authority at one time was bad in your life. You had an experience with bad authority. And then you have just kind of maybe not said it out loud, but then all authority is bad. And then, so, and then somebody else is in authority in your life, and you have a hard time honoring them. You have a hard time receiving from them. You won't listen to them, and, and, and you can push them against them. And here's another one. You make excuses for why you won't obey what God has called you to do. You know that God has said something. You know that God has put His hand on something. You know that God has pointed you in a specific direction that you continually justify not doing. Again, that's you calling the shots. Or you kind of saying, well, I don't think God really meant that. And you know specifically what He's asking you to do, and then you're having this debate constantly, again, grabbing the steering wheel. So those are some areas. And again, I'm... I'm listing some very specific things to allow God to look at our lives so that we can walk in freedom and give Him that control back and allow Him to heal some of the deep things in our hearts because a lot of these things are rooted in deep insecurity, deep hurt. Again, maybe past abuse, maybe something that happened as a child, and then, you know, you have a hard time wanting to be in, in, in power and control. Maybe at this point you're saying, I don't really struggle with any of that. Well, hold on. I'm not done yet. The last area I want to look at, I think will change that because I think we all deal with, if not those, another sign of dealing with the God's power and control in our lives is being passive-aggressive. And so what's that? It's being quietly in power and control. It has, it has the appearance of humility, but it's not really humble at all. What are some signs of being passive, aggressive? Let's look at that. Acting agreeable, but you're not truly in agreement. And then they say, well, do you agree with this? And you go, yes, I do. I agree with this. And then you walk away and you go, I don't agree with it. Instead of saying, I don't really agree with that, can we, can we and, and so you're afraid to be out there and, and, and to stay on your heart and your mind. Another one is that you're going to teach others a lesson, or you're going to pay them back through silence and stonewalling. Are your toes getting stepped on a little bit? We all maybe deal with this. I'm going to just, maybe not even pout, but I'm going to be in control, and uh, I'm going to pay you back. You're going to know at some point that you did something wrong. I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to teach you a lesson. There's stonewalling. There's silence. Or being frustrated and not going to the source of your frustration, but then gossiping about them or slandering them to others. 
Bible says, go to your brother, go to your sister and be reconciled. Don't go to others and talk about your brother and sister and what they did to you or didn't do to you. Doing underhanded things to pay people back for offending you. Maybe in a group and you make a little start, little jab, verbal jab, and it's just kind of offhanded, but you know what they're talking about. They still haven't let it go, but they're going to let you know that they haven't let it go. And we throw those little things out there to pay them down. Refusing to forgive. Just, I'm not going to forgive. It's kind of this passive aggressive way of, again, of me teaching you a lesson. I just won't forgive you. I won't say anything about it. I won't tell you that I'm having a struggle. I'm just going to refuse to forgive you. The problem is, is, you're the one under power and control, and not the person that you're refusing to forgive. Or refusing to forgive them from your heart. That can be where I forgive you, you put your arm around them, yeah, I forgive you, we're good, I forgive you, and you walk away, and you're not really good, and you haven't really forgiven them, and you're still eating at you. But you put off maybe that you have forgiven Refusing to reconcile or taking the initiative to reconcile. As God's people used to be leading the way in that. Quietly manipulating to get your way. Again, outwardly acting like everything is okay, saying I'm sorry, but on the inside you're still filled with resentment. And another thing is cutting off relationship without communicating. You just leave. I just leave. I just cut myself off and I just won't show up or I just separate myself from people that are in my life. And it's, it's the God of power and control at work. So if any of those don't apply to you, you are superhuman, and we're going to need you to step up here at the end and pray for everybody else. Because we all deal with these areas. We are all broken. We hurt each other, right? We've been hurt. We all have stories. We all, we all have things that we can look to in life and say, well, that was a moment, event, or a season that I could be offended. We've been hurt and we've hurt. We offend and we've been offensive. We all, at some level, deal with insecurity. We all bow down to the gods of power and control. Whether it's outright aggressive behavior or being passive-aggressive, we have all bowed our knee to this at times. And so we identified these gods, and now we want to look at how to remove them. Removing the idols of power and control. Let's go to the next slide. First one is this. Choose every day to be a humble servant. And this, again, this is allowing the work of Jesus to come into your heart. The power of the Holy Spirit to make us more Christ-like. So the first way to remove the idols of power and control is to choose every day, every day to be a humble servant. Luke 22, 21-27. Jesus, this is a very vulnerable time. He is about to be arrested, crucified. And then he says that the spirit of this table sitting among us is a friend, it's a man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays me? The disciples begin to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. And so he's telling them, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to die. Then they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. This is one of those sad 
comical moment in the lives of the disciples. Jesus is being very vulnerable, transparent. It's a hard time for him. Somebody's going to betray me, and I'm going to die. And then they immediately go into debate. I wonder who's the greatest among them. So Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. So Jesus, in a sense, in quotes, he's like, it's almost surprising. They're called friends of the people, but they lord over them. In other words, they have power, and they, they're domineering over the people, and yet they're called the friends of the people. You know why? Because people are afraid of them. And they like the power and they like the control. But what does Jesus say? But among you, it will be different. Among you, it will be different. Don't lord it over people. Don't have a God of power and control. Manipulate control, whether aggressively or passive-aggressively, other people in your life. Among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leaders should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. You hear what he's saying? The kingdom of God is different. He said, Get, you know how you do it in the world? Get that out of your thinking. The kingdom of God is different than the world. Not here. Be different here. For I am among you. Jesus says, I am among you, this one who serves. I am among you as one who says that he invites us to his I am modeling this for you. He has already walked the feet at this vulnerable time. And he says, I am among you one who is one of the ways that we put down the gods of power and control is that we become his humble servants every day. We serve others. We learn from his, Jesus and it's a lifestyle of serving. And that's how he says, you want to be great in my kingdom, it's actually being a servant. Serve others. Humbly lay your life down for others. And not look at power and control as something that that means greatness. And so, become a servant. And then Paul says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. And that's that validation, isn't it? But to be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look at not only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The same attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And so Paul is dealing with power and control. Don't be selfish. Don't, be, don't try to be impressive to get others' attention. He said, think of others better than yourself. Look out for their interests. Lay your life down. Be different. It's interesting that Jesus had all the power and control known to man, and yet he submitted to his Father's will. Secondly is this. Embrace and acknowledge the weaknesses. Embrace and acknowledge the weaknesses. Second Corinthians 12, Paul says this, three different times I begged the Lord to take it from me, and that's the thorn in the flesh that he was dealing with. He said, I begged God to take it away. 
each time God told him, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work for me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses as in the insult, hardship, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so, Paul is saying, I boast in my weakness. When I understand the real power of Christ, I boast in my weakness. In other words, let's have a healthy vulnerability and transparency in the body of Christ that we struggle, that we deal with things, that we are going through things, that we don't have to look like we have it all together or try to make it appear like we have it all together, but that we all need the power of Christ. See, God has a way to keep us humble if we don't choose it voluntarily. And our greatest strength, the strength that we can muster up, the greatest power that we think we might have, the greatest control, are actually great weakness compared to Him. And so it's about getting ourselves out of the way, admitting we're broken, that we need Christ's power in us and through us. So that way, whatever good happens, nobody's applauding you and me. And they're not patting us on the back and looking how awesome you are. They're saying, look how awesome God is. And we can say, but for grace, but for the work of Christ in my life, I couldn't do any of this. That anything good is pointing to Him always. Because the tendency is when anything good, when we get the accolades of man, we tend to enjoy that. We all struggle with that. But it's not in our power and strength. After God uses it in our weakness. And so this revelation helps us in our relationships with others. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. You know, because it's a weakness. It's like, I have a hard time forgiving when you've offended me. I have a hard time forgiving that past abuse. But you know what? Through the power of Christ, I can do it because it's a weakness in me. But His strength in me, I can forgive. I can let it go. Do not break into you. Frozen song at that point. Let it go. But remember your own faults, your own weaknesses. Remember what you've been forgiven of. That we're told that in Scripture. That's how we can forgive others is when we see through the lens of the cross that we can see what we've been forgiven of because we're all guilty. And therefore, I can forgive. Then you can make allowance for each other's faults instead of saying, you have faults and I'm going to hold those against you until the day that you are our God. I will hold those faults over you. And Paul says, make allowance for them. They're going to have faults. You know, notice that he does not say, they're not, gonna, they're not supposed to have faults. He says, don't make allowance for them. Make allowance. Give room for it. If you have no room for faults of other people in your life, you're either going to do one thing or two things. You're going to be offended and angry all your life, or you're going to be alone. Because people are going to have faults. And you said, make allowance for them. Forgive, love, make room, be in unity, be in one mind and one heart. Love each other sincerely. Romans 12. Love each other sincerely. In other words, not just a show of love, but sincere love. The last one is this, submit and surrender to God. James 4, 1 through 10. Well, constant fights and quarrels among you. These guys were all over it. They dealt with the same stuff that we deal with. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from the desire of battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. 
you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. Says you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs to the fear He has caused to dwell in us? But He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And then what does He go on to say? Submit to God. Submit yourself into God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. How do we get the devil to flee from us? Submitting to God. Surrendering to God. Sometimes we allow the work of the enemy in our lives because we miss that part. We can, you can rebuke and you can say, you better get behind me, Satan, and you can do all these things. If you're not submitting and surrendering your heart to God completely, submit is that idea of unconditional surrender. It's not you having a part of the steering wheel. It's, it's God having it and you getting your hands off of it. A lot of times we're trying to steer and then we're rebuking the devil. And God says, submit to me and then you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But until you understand submission and surrender to God, you can't do the second part. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. Now, this is not a doom and gloom. He's saying, mourn your sin. Recognize that you're weak. Recognize that in your own strength, you can't do it. That's the spirit of power and control that says, I am strong enough, and I'm going to do it in my own willpower, and I'm going to be able to do this. And he says, no, you need to mourn that. And you need to wail against that. Because that's just going to lead you, lead you to greater discouragement. Humble yourself, verse 10, before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Because the ultimate thing that the gods of power and control keep us from doing is to completely, unconditionally surrender our lives to Jesus. If we have a piece of control, or a control that we think we have, that's why the enemy, he loves for you to think that you have a little bit of control. You grip that. Then it's we only have need of Christ. Like a life that is totally surrendered to Jesus gives him complete control. And then I say, God forgive me because I have the death grip on this thing. Maybe in areas of my life, maybe there was something real, maybe there was abuse, maybe there was something and I'm just like, I'm not going to go through that anymore. Nobody can control me. I'm not going to ever endure that again. And Jesus is trying our fingers off and ultimately our lives, he said, I want you to surrender. And then we in humility and repentance say, I've been steering my own ship. I've been going my own way. I've been doing my own thing because I think I know better. And Jesus wants to take a left. We want to take a right. And he said, give me control. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus if you are surrendering to him, giving him control, living for him, living his ways as taught in Scripture. And then giving him this every day. You know why it's every day? That's why Jesus said, take up your cross every day. Because why? The tendency is I'm going to wake up tomorrow and go, can I just get my, it's not even my dominant hand, can I just hold it a little bit? Can I touch it? What happens to you? Does it touch it? And here we go. And every day we have to say, Lord, help me. 
I give you control. Help me to forgive where I've not been, where I've, where I've held on to unforgiveness. God, forgive me, Lord. That thing in my life, you saw that abuse. You were there. I don't get it. It was hard. But Lord, where I have used that to take control, God, I give it back to you every single day. So if you're here and you haven't completely given your life to Christ, today's a great day to do that. Or maybe you've been sitting there and you like, you like Jesus being in the car with you. You like the co-pilot thing. That's what makes you so secure. But you are the one flying. And he's over there gently saying, I need to want to be the one steering this. And you have not done that, but you like him now. That's that where you can maybe even profess with your mouth that your heart is not lined up. Somebody would ask you, are you a Christian? And you go, yeah, I'm a Christian. But you know in the depth of your heart that you're the one that's in control. Maybe you need to give up control today and allow God to reach into those areas of your heart. And again, maybe specific areas where you... You know, sometimes he is driving, but when you hit those bumps in the road, when you hit those areas that make you make you insecure, you that's the time you grab that steering wheel. And that's why James is stronger to God. He is stronger to you. He loves you. He delights in being near us. He wants relationship with us. So what is he asking of you today? Where have you allowed the God's power to control your life? Is it aggression? Is it intimidation? Do you get angry? Do you blow up easy? Do you use your position to control people? Do you manipulate? Do you need to take the initiative in saying that you're sorry? Again, there are, the enemy will give you a thousand reasons why not to hear what I'm just saying and to fight against that. Do you need to take the initiative to either say you're sorry or to forgive someone? Have you been holding on to unforgiveness as a sense of control? Have you been struggling to be teachable, or humble, or accountable? Do you find reasons why not to open up your heart? Well, I'm shy. I'm kind of an introvert. That's okay. God's bigger than your excuses. Have you been passive-aggressive, quietly being in control? Have you gossiped about people, making it look like that you're good with them, but then you slander them to others? Or have you justified and made excuses why you haven't been immediately obedient to what God's asking you to do? All of that sets things of control. And today you need to say, God, help my heart. And tomorrow I'm going to have to get this to you again. Help my heart. Because I hope you hear the heart of the Lord. And this is not intended to be a message of shame, you know, to, to beat you over the head, but it's a, it's a message of freedom. And that's why James is saying, you know, weep and mourn those, those areas and give up, give that control back up to Christ because you can walk away from here. You know, I feel a little bit beat up on it and make, make excuses for why you don't want to do it. And then you stay bound and you stay in that false sense of control. So it's not intended to do you up, but to give us great freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And none of us, none of us want to come to the judgment seat of Christ. Because the Bible says that in Romans, that we will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ before Him. 
the perfect judge, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, and we're not going to have a list of excuses. None of us wants to stand there at the judgment seat of Christ with a steering wheel in our hand and say, well, here's why I have control. I want to go to the judgment seat of Christ and He has my steering wheel. Say, Lord, thank you for helping me to give that to you every day. So James is saying, humble yourself. Get right with God. He will lift you up. Get right with others. Get free in the and God wants us to walk away and be free from the gods of power and control. We stand to Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your heart for each one of us. And again, like I said last week, I, I, it's not even a sense of like, you know, every head bowed, every eye closed, every hand or whatever. You, you know what God's dealing with you. Allow the Holy Spirit to put his hand in. He does it because he loves us. Allow him to put his hand on this area of the and then, and then make that resolve in your heart that God help me, give me strength to do the right thing as I leave here today. Don't be like James where he says we hear the word and then we walk away and we forget. We go, yeah, that was good. That was a good sermon or that sermon lacked something. It wasn't very good. Whatever. But then we forget what was said. God, help us. Help our hearts so that Jesus can respond to you. Lord, let us obey you, Jesus. When you look at your disciples in that moment and they were arguing about greatness and you said, it should be different with you. It should be different with you. If you're in the kingdom, it should be different. Don't don't hold on to unforgiveness. It should be different. The world holds grudges. It should be different in the church. The world slanders in God. It should be different with you. The world finds reasons not to forgive. It should be different with you because you have Christ. So God, help us. Give us strength as we walk through here that we would walk in freedom and liberty. Away from the gods of power and control, Lord, and I pray, God, that every day we would give you control. We would give you control. We would wake up tomorrow saying, God, here I am. I give you control of my life today. We would live everything like that for Jesus until you call us home. In your wonderful name, we pray. Amen.